For our reading lesson, we'll be starting in the book of Isaiah in chapter 53, reading what I believe to be probably a very familiar scripture for many of you. We'll be starting here um, in the, the prophecy that is provided here by the prophet Isaiah. And then, of course, we'll, uh, we will jump into the New Testament and, and we will um, confirm what I know many of you would already believe in who Isaiah is talking about as we continue to talk about our Savior, Jesus Christ. In the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, he says, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed." All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. We'll stop our reading as we read the entirety of the, the 12 verses within the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. Again, I know that this is familiar scripture, and there's, there's so much in here. There's so much in here, I, I can't even pretend to, to do any of it really justice, but not the entirety of it. But I do want to bring out a few points from the Old Testament before we go over to the New Testament and start trying to tie some of this together. 
he specifically talks about the Lamb, and we, we sang the Lamb of God, and I mentioned how appropriate that was. I appreciated the song and how appropriate it was for the message today. My thought is we have continued to touch on the ministry of Jesus, and we have touched on many different parts of how he interacted with people and what he did as he taught and as he healed his um, titles, um, if you will. He, of course, he was a servant. He is a king, the son of God, as we touched on last week. And I feel like we'll probably be wrapping up these, uh, these thoughts here in the next couple of weeks. But, and I know that we touched on this, especially last week when we talked about him being the son of God. But let us be clear as we look on Jesus and we look at his life, we should not and cannot forget that he is our sacrifice. When we think about the sacrifice and we think about the lamb as it was brought out, there are a couple of different thoughts that, that come to my mind. And again, we know that Isaiah was prophesying to the Jewish people. And uh, in the ministry of Jesus, um, a lot of the things that he said, he would refer back to the Old Testament. And, and many of the things, many of the prophecies, many of the, uh, the, the traditions and the things were fulfilled within the Jewish context, within the Jewish culture. And so when he was, when they, the, Isaiah here was talking about um, being a lamb, he talks about how he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. That would have meant something, and uh, not to to get too far ahead, but we we know in John uh, chapter one verse twenty nine, as John the Baptist sees Jesus approaching, he calls and he says, "Behold!" and he says that Jesus is the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, and that would have meant something to the Jewish people, just as that certainly means something to us today, but. To be a lamb, and in some of the context that, that we see as we look through the Old Testament, um, a couple of things that I'll point out, and there's more than this, but just a couple points, is we first of all, we recognize the Passover meal. And we'll talk more about that as we move into the New Testament, but the Passover meal was something that the Jews would have been familiar with. Um, it was something that they were supposed to observe, each and every year after it was initially established, after the exodus of the people from Egypt. They were not always faithful in doing so, but it was something that they that was supposed to, to point them to something, and it was supposed to help them in their remembrance. And of course, we know that the Passover meal as it was prepared, that there were specific requirements, and a lamb was a part of the Passover meal. That lamb was to be roasted with fire. It was supposed to be eaten with a, within the context of a family or a household, and it was supposed to be uh, eaten such that none was left over, and if there was anything left over, it was supposed to be burned. Um, it was seasoned with bitter herbs, but the Jews, they would have, I, I believe that when we tar- start thinking about the Lamb, the Lamb of God, that the, the sacrifice of the Lamb uh, for the Passover would have been very relevant for them. Probably more so than what we would think of today because we, we celebrate 
the Lord's Supper and the and we do that as an ordinance within our church where we eat the unleavened bread and we drink the fruit of the vine, whether that be grape juice or wine as different churches observe it differently. But the lamb is not a part of that um, particular ordinance. We, as we read it in the New Testament and we follow the Last Supper, that was uh, where Jesus gave them the, um, the direction for how they were to observe that. But the Jews, the lamb would have been a, a, an integral, critical part of their celebration and their remembrance of what God had done for them. How that they were in slavery in Egypt. The plagues as they were rolling out, the nine different plagues that had impacted, some of those had impacted the children of Israel, some of those God had plagued only the Egyptians. And then as they got, as God was about to get ready to put the last and final plague on the land of Egypt, how he gave the children of Israel the opportunity to eat of the Passover lamb, to put the blood upon the doorposts so that God would pass over them. They were to eat it in haste because God was about to give them a great deliverance that was going to happen very quickly. This would have meant something. I'm not going to get into all the details of the Passover, but this would have meant something to the Jewish people. And this meant something, not just in the time of Isaiah, this meant something in the time of Jesus. And we'll talk about that a little bit. So we also think about the lamb, and we think about the uh, the offering as it is described in Isaiah. He talked about how uh, thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. We recognize that in the Old Testament, as was directed by God, that there were many different animal sacrifices that took place. And there were different kinds of sacrifices, but I, I want to talk about, um, the in, in, at least in general, and, and I believe this would have been the, the sin offering and perhaps also the trespass offering um, that would have been... Um, carried out by the Jewish people for for many different generations as they were sacrificing these different sacrifices. But a lamb in particular was often used. It was supposed to be a, uh, a, uh, a, a male lamb without spot and without blemish. And the children of Israel, there was this idea of... of putting their sins upon the lamb. And so they would put their hand upon this animal. It was not always a lamb. Sometimes it was goats. Sometimes it was was bulls. Sometimes it could even be birds, turtle doves. But we see it often with a lamb. They would put their hand on the head of the animal and they would confess their sins They would confess their trespasses before God. And figuratively, symbolically, they recognized that their sins, that their transgressions, how they had had acted and spoken in their lives against a holy and a righteous God. As they confessed these things, 
that they were putting their sins upon this animal. It was figurative, we recognize. This animal, this lamb, it, it had an innocence about it. It had a purity about it where it was without spot and blemish. This animal would have had no understanding of what really was occurring. This animal would have had no concept that these people had sinned against God or that they were confessing their sins so that those sins would be symbolically put upon this animal. This animal had no recognition of those things, but in the mind of the people, this is what was happening. And as they would transfer their sins, if you will, to this animal, the animal would then be sacrificed. The animal would be killed. It would be sacrificed. Not because the animal had done anything of itself, not for any... It was not because the animal had, was specifically uh, mean or had done anything different than a young lamb would have done. But it was sacrificed because of the sins of the people and what that meant for the people, for that animal to lose its life. The last thing that I want to just touch on before we jump to the New Testament is we recognize in the Old Testament that when we talk about sin and trespasses and we go all the way back to the time of Adam and Eve, we recognize that there is a time when man and mankind, man and woman, were not under sin and that they walked and talked with God in full relationship and connection with Him. until they chose to go against God. I believe because they felt they had an opportunity to be like gods themselves. That they, they chose their, themselves over God, which I believe is really at the heart of sin. And from that point on, the relationship between God and man changed. That relationship was broken. There was a separation. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. There was a physical separation, if you will, from the presence of God. Recognizing that God's presence is, we say that He's omnipresent. God is present everywhere, but there was a an action that occurred that showed a separation from God. Animals were slain even back then. Animals were killed so that they would have coverings of skin to cover their nakedness. And even from that early time as God cursed the serpent, there was this idea that man was going to need a sacrifice. And it was something that he was not going to be able to do alone. And the Old Testament, uh, some people may find it challenging to read the Old Testament. And, and if I'm being honest, it, it can be for me too. There are places, there are um, events that happen throughout the Old Testament that, that I 
can struggle to to understand and to um, to to put in the context of what I see as right and wrong, and there are things in there um, that are challenging as you read them. But what you will find consistently throughout the Old Testament, from Genesis all the way through to the last of the prophets, is Malachi, if you look at the ordering of how our Old Testament Bibles are structured, what you will find is, is that, that thought that comes up from the very beginning when man's sins continues forward, is that you see that man, in his own ways, his own selfish desires, continues to be separated and apart from God and sins and trespasses against God. A covenant is given that man very quickly breaks. Promises are made that are very quickly broken. And that man's relationship with God that is broken and ruined, if you will, from sin can never be fixed through man's actions alone. So thousands or millions of animals are sacrificed throughout all of this time. Always pointing to something, something greater, something greater. Isaiah paints the picture of what the Old Testament is crying out. The Old Testament is just crying out for something. And Isaiah sets the stage for what that something will be. So then in John, and I read it before, but we'll read it again. In John chapter 1, verse 29. John the Baptist, who we recognize, was he was also prophesied about, and he was prophesied to be preparing the way. He was not to be the Messiah, but he was going to be preparing the way and getting things set up for the one that was to come. And in verse 29 it says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus is so many things. And as we talk about this, I don't want to minimize we we talk about his his birth and then we talk and we celebrate Christmas and and we celebrate then and we think about his crucifixion and his resurrection and and especially his resurrection at Easter. Uh, we don't have holidays throughout the year necessarily that celebrate all the many things that Jesus did in his ministry. They're important. We should not forget them. The, the life that he lived, the ministry, and the things that he did on earth were critically important. His teaching is critically important, and, and we should study it, and we should embrace it, and we should follow it. But a teaching of Jesus would not be complete if we did not recognize that we were in desperate need of a sacrifice. 
the blood of the bulls, the blood of the goats, the blood of the lambs were not sufficient. They didn't complete the plan. They did not fulfill the need. They they fulfilled their temporary purpose. But they were always crying out. The blood of all those animals, I, it, figuratively, uh, to think of it, every one of those animals, as they were being slain and their blood was being shed, it was crying out that there is something more. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. We recognize in the book of Revelation that as Jesus is described in different places, he is most often, I believe, and, and he has many different titles and there's many different things um, that describe him, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But the picture of the Lamb, I think, stands out above all the rest. In Revelation in chapter 5, The Apostle John here, as he's receiving the revelation, he is given the, the vision of a book that was sealed with seven seals. And he witnesses events that are happening where no one could open the book. And he was very sad that no one could open the book. And then you get to verse 6 in chapter 5, and it says, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people, and nation. John's vision as he sees the Lamb as it had been slain. Jesus, our sacrifice. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Son of God, the sacrificed lamb. Jesus himself, as he is giving his teachings in John 15 and 13, he talks about how greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And then... The Apostle John, the same one that wrote the book of Revelations, in 1 John 3 and 16, he says, Perceive we the love of God, 
because he laid down his life for us. Jesus, our sacrifice, the Lamb of God. And what does that mean? So, he was the Lamb of God. He was the unspotted Lamb. He was the innocent one that was not slain for anything that he had committed, any wrongs that he had done, just as those innocent lambs, if you will, that were spotless and, and were not being, they were not being slaughtered because of themselves, but because of the people. Unlike those animals, those ignorant animals that had no knowledge of their purpose and, and that what they were doing and why it was happening, Jesus knew. He knew. I would imagine those lambs, if they had recognized what was about to happen, if they had had the opportunity to do so, they would have probably tried to run away. Jesus very much had the opportunity to run away, if you will, but chose to stay and to fulfill what he knew to be necessary. We'll read a couple more scriptures in first. First, we'll go to Ephesians in chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. The Apostle Paul here writing to the church at Ephesus. And, and the context here is a little bit different. He will read the scripture. The context is he's really talking about um, walking. He, in verse 2, it says, "...in walk in love." Um, and he talks about being followers of God as dear children. And then if you go on in the, in the chapter, he talks about um, us being essentially unspotted from the world and, and to not be given into fornication and uncleanness and covetousness and these different things. But in verse 2, he makes a point and he says, "...and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God." for a sweet-smelling savor. Jesus, in His love for us, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Why did Jesus come? Because He loves us. Why did Jesus die? Because He loves us. Why did Jesus have to die? Because it was the only way. He didn't, in some regards, he didn't have to die. It was not an, an obligation to Jesus. He would still be the Son of God had he not. You see, his death, his sacrifice, was not in any way to change his status and relationship as being the Son of God. 
He was before, He was during, He was after. That did not change. And it was not necessary. But for our status to change, for us to have any hope, for our sins not to be held against us before a holy and righteous God, He had to die. We needed a sacrifice and if all that we had ever gotten were animals, goats and cows and lambs, we would have been hopeless if there was not something more that that was pointing to. We're done for. And we as believers in Jesus Christ, we that believe that we that profess that we have been saved by God's grace through faith in Christ, we don't sacrifice those animals. We don't shed their blood. We don't put our hands upon them and confess our sins over them before we kill them. We have no need to. What they were pointing to has happened. Our Lamb has come. Put your hands upon Him. Touch Him. Call out to Him. May your sins rest upon Him. We typically as uh, Christians, if you will, we don't, maybe some do, we don't typically celebrate Passover, at least not in the same way that the Jews do. And, And I am not an expert in Jewish tradition, so I can't, tell you exactly how they celebrate Passover today or, or what exactly they're thinking of and feeling when they celebrate it. But the Passover feast, as it is my understanding, is, is a Jewish tradition, is not specifically pointing to Christ. But as I think about being passed over, So I think about the blood that was shed and the lamb that was sacrificed. I don't have to look back to slavery in Egypt. My lineage, as far as I know, I don't know. I haven't done the research to to find out all about my ancestors. And I've heard the traditions of, of... brothers that came from Germany and, and probably that my last name indicates some sort of uh, English or, or some type of lineage in that direction. I don't know of any Jewish blood that runs through my veins, though it could quite possibly be there through some generation past. But I don't look at the, the physical bondage that I or my ancestors were a part of. But I know about spiritual bondage. I know what it's like to be so entangled up in my own sin that I feel like I'm just about to to be suffocated. And though I was often told that I was a, a good boy and I could read my Bible pretty well from a young age, I 
grew up in church and, and I had family that that worked with me and when it came to reading and things and and I usually excelled in uh, in schoolwork and different things and so I, I could read my Bible well from a young age and, and I could read the words and 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 people were impressed, if you will, at my ability to read the Bible. From a young age, I would get up, my uncle would lead singing, and I would get up there sometimes, and I would lead singing, and, and people would be impressed, if you will. At the, and it wasn't just me, some other children, my brother, and, and occasionally some others would as well. And the, the church was so tickled to have children coming up and, and helping and leading singing. But I was hopeless. Despite how well I could read the Bible, no matter how many songs of, about Jesus I was able to sing, I was a wretched sinner. And nothing I could do on my own was ever going to change that. And when I felt the, the weight of that separation from God, that separation that, that we see as occurring there in the Garden of Eden when sin was introduced in the world, that man was separated from God, I felt that separation. And I thought that I had, could pray the right prayer and say the right words and do it in some ways on my own and and I was praying to God and I was praying for His salvation and I knew about Christ and I knew about all these things. But I was hopeless. There were no animals that I could sacrifice. There was no words that I could say. There was no passage I could read, no song I could sing. That's, that is why Jesus had to come. Because my relationship with God would have never changed. I would have been separated from Him and all the things that I might could have tried, all the things that people might have patted me on the back for would have been as filthy rags before a holy and just God. But Jesus, Christ loved me. And that's why He had to come. Because He loved me. And He wanted me to be right with God. He wanted to have fellowship with me. So Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. All those things that I tried would try to sacrifice anything that anyone ever tries to sacrifice. You see these sacrifices they would go up and if God was pleased with them it would talk about how there would be a sweet smelling savor. There would be an odor if you will that would please God. Now again, this is symbolic. God doesn't have a, 
a, a physical sense of smell, if you will, that appreciates the, the physical smell of burning flesh. I would imagine that the smell, at least in our nostrils, probably would not be too pleasant. But the symbol of what that meant would be pleasing to God. And you see, no sacrifice I could provide, nothing that I could do, no works of my hands that I could offer would ever be sweet-smelling to God. But there is a sacrifice that is. The Lamb of God that was an offering and a sacrifice as His blood was shed, as His life was taken, as He gave it up willingly on the cross at Calvary, that sacrifice was a sweet smelling savor. In the book of 1 Corinthians 5 and 7, again, Paul is writing here in, to the church at Corinth, and the, the context is he's actually, he's writing and he's, he's encouraging um, the church at Corinth to actually put away someone that has committed a, a very obvious sin out in public and they were struggling and in some ways they were not they they were not separating themselves from this sin and and Paul he encourages them to uh, to purge the uh, the sin from them as you would purge leaven so that the leaven does not corrupt or does not uh, leaven the whole lump and in verse 7 he says purge out Therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. We celebrate the Last Supper as in, or celebrate the Lord's Supper, and, and we have the, the scripture that we read as a part of that. Jesus came to Jerusalem to observe the Passover. And by this point, the rulers, the, those that were against Jesus, they uh, were seeking opportunity of how that they might be able to get Jesus and arrest Him and ultimately to kill him. Not sure if I'll be able to find what I was looking for exactly. They wanted to kill him, but they were being cautious. They wanted to do it at the right time. There it is in Matthew chapter 26. And it came to pass, in verse 1 of chapter 26 of Matthew, And it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, He said unto His disciples, Ye know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. This was probably one of the most uh, 
blunt ways that Jesus had told his disciples about what was going to happen to him. It says, Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people into the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas, and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. But they said, Not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. So they were being cautious and, and they didn't want to upset the people. They didn't they had to be very careful with Jesus because Jesus at, at some points in his ministry was very popular among the people and they didn't want to make a, a martyr out of him. They didn't want to to take him away from the people with the people, you know, worshiping him and praising him and seeing him as the Messiah and and they didn't want to make matters worse. And so they were trying to figure out how they could uh, tr- use trickery or, or to be subtle and to take Jesus and to kill him in such a way so that it wouldn't cause an uproar among the people, that it wouldn't make them to, 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 to worship him more or to, to see him more as the Messiah or anything like that. They were trying to do it in the right way. And at first they didn't want to do it on the feast day. And then Jesus and his disciples, they, they, do the, the, they do the Last Supper, and Jesus goes out to the garden to pray. And Judas Iscariot presents them with an opportunity to bring to give Jesus over to them that he might be arrested. And so they come in the darkness of night, with sticks and staves and, I guess, torches probably. And Judas leads them to Jesus there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And given the opportunity that they had, they took advantage of it and they arrested Jesus. They tried him, gave him his mock trial and... Pilate was involved, and, and Pilate initially said that he didn't see any fault in him. And, but the people pressed on Pilate, and he caved, and he gave Jesus to them to be crucified. And so Jesus was crucified on the cross at Calvary <laughs> around the same time that the Jews were needing their Passover lamb. It wasn't coincidence. It wasn't luck. Jesus, the Lamb of God, was our Passover that was sacrificed for us. They were eating their Passover lambs and mocking him, railing on him, making fun of him, and talking about how if he was really the Son of God, he could come off the cross. 
I'm so thankful he stayed on that cross. And that his blood was shed. As a lamb that was slain, as a lamb led to the slaughter, there was my sacrifice. Without his sacrifice, I was doomed to an eternity with the devil in a place of eternal separation and torment. And with that sacrifice, I have a hope of eternal life. With the presence of God indwelling within my soul now, and a promise of an even greater relationship and presence of God in eternity to come. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by Him. He's not boasting. It's, God's not trying to be hard to deal with. God's not being, he's not being difficult. He's being honest. If you want to have a relationship with God, it has to be through the sacrifice of the Lamb. There's no other way, no other name that is given whereby we must be saved. It's it. It's His sacrifice. And then just as the Jews, I'm sure, as they would eat their Passover and think about what God did for them, you know, they recognized the mighty hand of God those plagues that happened on Egypt, that was not, there was no power within the Jews. There was nothing within them that could have caused the great deliverance that took place. And if they had any doubt about what happened in Egypt, they get to the edge of the Red Sea and there the waters parted. And they walk across on dry land and then they watch the sea as it crushes the enemies that were pursuing them. God's victory was complete, His deliverance was complete. And there was no question of who it came from. So as I reflect on my Passover lamb, a great deliverance was provided for my soul. And it was not within any power of that I have within me. I just looked to the one that had all power and laid down his life for me. Oh, by his grace, his mercy, and his love, I can say that I know that I'm saved. And if you can't, I pray that you will see Jesus as your Passover lamb too. You won't find it any other way. But you certainly wouldn't ever find a better way than to put your trust in Christ.